0: Welcome to the Dork Forest. Jackie and her pals will never never bore us. Shameless confessions
1: about our obsessions will make make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the Dork Forest and dork out for a while. Hi, Jackie Cation here. You're listening to the Dork Forest. You know the websites, dorkforest.com, thedorkforest.com if you like a determiner, JackieCation.com. Has everything. Both of my podcasts, all of the stand up stuff, the new album, links to YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, all the things. But so, I think, does DorkForest.com, where you can look at old videos of different shows. Anyway, if you want to support the show, tell people about the show, review it on iTunes, thumbs it up on Pandora or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, I appreciate that. You can donate. You can donate monthly. PayPal lets you do that. You can also do my Venmo if you like. It's at JackieKation. Absolutely everywhere. And my email address is jackie at jackiecation.com. And that's what the PayPal is. The PayPal link is on jackiecation.com and dorkforest.com. And go to any of them. Thanks for listening. There's merch, there's stand up, there's tour guide. You know, you can find out where I'm touring. This is getting long. So let's get into the show. Hi, Jackie Cation here. Full of rage. Usually not usual. Not usual at- Hi. Not normal in front of a dork forest, but I'm full of rage. How's it going out there? The Supreme Court has destroyed Roe, so we all need to step up and fight back. The good news is our friends at Abortion Action Front have a plan. July 17th, they're hosting an activist training day called Operation Save Abortion, AAF, is gathering experts from every area of the abortion justice movement and live streaming a series of conversations that break down the many ways that you can help protect reproductive rights. Real things that you can do. So helping patients with travel needs, lobbying politicians, getting into good trouble out in the streets are just a few of the opportunities these amazing panelists will break down specifically. And bonus, they'll connect you with the organizations in your area doing this work. So gather your friends for a watch party and commit to being a defender of abortion access. Operation Save Abortion, July 17th. For all info and to register, hit up operationsaveabortion.com. It's online. Everybody can do this. We can all do this. Uh, July 17th. Get out there. operationsaveabortion.com. Hey, Jackie Cation here. Uh, I'm in my garage. Who wants to see that closet door? Don't we wanna see this version? Yeah, there we go. Hi. Uh I you're you're listening to the Dork Forest. You've chosen wisely. And uh let's do it. I am with uh Gianmarco Sarese. And uh yeah, perfect. Yeah, there we go. So, crazy. got it. I There's part of me wants to ethnic it up, really get into the Italian of it. <laughs> and uh, Stand Up Comic has a podcast called The Downside, which sounds like uh, if you're ever uh, sick of talking about what you love, go listen to The Downside because it's, mm-hmm. the down- it's a great chance to bitch about shit is what it sounds like. Is it really fun?
0: Oh, it's a blast because I everyone's always, you know, everyone's become their own like PR person online and everyone's happy. And then you go home and why am I not happy as everyone else?
1: (laughs) Right. Right. There's these beautiful pictures of. Yeah, you were. It's true. I there's uh, whenever anybody is like I've taken a picture of us, I was like, I will like it. And it, but if I genuinely like it, I will retweet it or I will repost it. Mm. But if I don't like it, then you will just get a heart that says, well, you posted something about me and I appreciate that because <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. It's all about PR. So uh, Gianmarco Ceresi, uh, is has a podcast called The Downside, does stand-up comedy. Uh, so you could go probably, uh, and, and Gianmarco seresi it's S-O-R-E-S-I, correct? Mm -hmm. And it'll be in the notes, everybody, uh, for that's his his handle for everything. Twitter, Instagram, all the things. Right.
0: Yeah. And last I saw you, we were both performing at Flappers together. There you go. We uh, you me and Jay Leno in the green room.
1: Oh, yeah, uh, that's uh, right.
0: Talking about uh, uh, how cancel culture has gone too far. We were not leading the conversation. Oh,
1: we but, were uh, not leading the conversation because
0: it's,
1: Jay Leno might have a little bit of the world's gone mad. But he is 72. so He is. He is. He is uh, and he shouldn't – yeah, he should just talk about stand-up and cars because that's, that's what he's made up of. He's made up of stand-up and cars. And his wife is a philanthropist, so you would think that he would have some – and he does. He's actually a much nicer guy than uh, everyone who works for Conan tells me. So, because uh, everyone <laughs> who works for Conan is. And, of course. Uh, <laughs> but you are going to be in Toronto uh, on mm-hmm. on. Uh, and I, we have Canadian listeners. Uh, there's people dorking out in Canada, the whole state, the whole country, the whole province, the whole oh Canada, uh, seven twenty two and twenty three of July, uh, uh-huh. in Toronto. Which which venue?
0: I think it's something new. It's called like the National Comedy Theater, okay. which makes it sound like it's only 50 seats. And oh. that's a lot of words <laughs> for a 50-seat box.
1: Right. That's a letter for everybody. Get out there. Go to the Toronto. Go to just, uh, just follow them. Look them up. If you live in Toronto, you can figure this out. We believe in you. Mm-hmm. And then you're doing like Irvine and Oxnard, the Improvs, or Levities, or Live Nations, or whatever they are, yeah, right? Yeah, Those
0: yeah. Those big, big rooms. The
1: big rooms big that rooms. you're like hoping to fill it. Bring a friend. So that's eight seven and eight ten in August. So uh, if you live outskirts of Los Angeles, uh, so Gianmarco, here's where I'm at with uh, with the Dork Forest. You have a Dork. I don't think we've done before, which is the television program Seinfeld. Which is people Seinfeld. talk about sitcoms. They love sitcoms. It was. Yeah. But you were a Seinfeld guy.
0: I was a Seinfeld guy. My I've divorced parents, and like <laughs> my father. My father's <laughs> not the Jewish one. My mom's Jewish, but my father and I. Would watch Seinfeld uh, religiously. It was uh, at least Thursdays Almost is what like I a remember. Religion.
1: Was it like a a Jewish religion? Seems unlikely. I
0: I think it's more like my father's depressed, and okay. there's something you know, when you're depressed, you become a little more Jewish. There's something about <laughs> the 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 complaining and the negativity and the narcissism. It just that really
1: resonated.
0: <laughs> it so did, and and my father. It was the most bonding I've had with my father. I would say, and I oh. I learned. I think I learned my sense of humor from Seinfeld. I think I wasn't raised very Jewish, and yet I have Jewish uh, traits, and I sometimes think it's because of Seinfeld, Oh, really.
1: You know what? It's a great introduction to some sort of secular Judaism that I think we all liked because the timing was there. I mean – Historically, you know, according to um, every book about the history of stand-up comedy, it was all Jews. Uh, let me tell you something: there were some Jewish women. Let me just say, I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm just gonna go out yeah. there. There was probably a lady or two with a with a mouth. That's what she had. She was like, "You got a mouth on you. We're not gonna put you in the book." But mm. uh, but the uh, but I will say that um, yeah, those. So what years? It was like '90, right? Didn't it start in?
0: Uh, it came out, no, it started, I think it started in 88 or 89, I believe 89. Okay. And it had a, uh, uh, I, I rewatched the, like, the documentary, and it was a wild ride. I mean, I was not, I, I was born in 88. Right. Um, And it was one of these things, Seinfeld was a big, uh, uh, Johnny Carson, he was on all the time, I think he was guest hosting now and then, NBC gave him, like, uh, a, a deal And he just liked Larry David He yeah. just liked Larry David And every story about Larry David They're always like, oh he's the comedian's co-. I've never heard a story of Larry David killing I've only heard <laughs> stories of like We liked watching Larry David Because sometimes he just walked off The stage
1: <laughs> Which right. I don't That's know not how I... stand-up comedy becomes popular Like, yeah. But there's a couple of people who could do it Kindler can do it, right? like Andy can yeah
0: but it's I, in today's environment of stand-up comedy you tell me if you think i'm incorrect like there's so many comics competing for for spots right now that like if i stormed off the stage i don't you'd have to have a lot of clout to then get another spot the next week that's a club banner these days
1: i would think at 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 at, at certain levels certainly at this level Uh, When you storm off stage, and I've never done it, but I've decided recently that I will. I've decided that I won't go up if I think that the show is going to be unsafe. I used to have this sort of bring it. I can take it. What am I, a chihuahua? Jesus. Uh, It's like there's no reason for me to think that I can take – what cuz there's bad guys right there it, it could get super dangerous and of course. i have had uh, some bad experiences in the last couple of years and so i have recently decided that i will not be going up and if i lose the week the weekend uh so sad too bad i lived and then if i also feel safe unsafe on stage i've decided i'm going to i'm going to get off uh because uh because of those two those two reasons chad daniels does it uh, and he's really? sort of at our level, but he seems somehow on the cusp of being Burt Kreischer, the cusp of being Bill Burr, right? Like sure, he, sure. He, because he's so freaking funny, but he's also super sane. So who knows if he'll ever be those guys? Uh, not that those guys are insane. That's what they, imply. That's the very, unsaid word.
0: Anyway, It's flattering you said our level. I'm I'm uh, at a much, I'm I'm down here.
1: We're peers, I, uh,
0: Gianmarco. We're I peers. Pr- I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, you, me, and Jay, Lena, we're all peers. We were, we're, all were pre- talking- <laughs> We were, we were I, uh, all in the green room hanging out. The only time I've seen a comic, I worked, I a, 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 a work a pretty rough club in New York called LOL. Ah. And, uh, uh, there was a comic who, his name is Kenny Ortega. He passed away from COVID sadly, oh, shit. but he was, he had been working this club for over a decade when it was called Ha. Went from Ha to oh, LOL. I
1: remember Ha. Huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> I never uh, played uh, Ha. It's good, good for you. That's why we're different levels. <laughs> and, uh, he, he was, he was closed in all the shows and they, they dropped the checks on him. And he, he had, you know, worked his club for so long and it's a mess. And when they start dropping the checks, he went off. He said, I'm not, I don't do the check spot here. And let me tell you, maybe in some places it'd be like, come on, but this place, good for you.
1: You got it. You
0: got to take, <laughs> you deserve you take it.
1: Own, own your, own the fact that you've been, you've been you've been treading water for 10 years. You don't yeah. deserve the check shot spot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause the check spot in New York is very different than anywhere else I've ever played. It literally is mayhem. It was like that. You might as well say, Hey, we're going to stick you in the middle of a playground, throw a bunch of balls in the air and then say, do your set. You get 15. And you're like, no, I I didn't, I didn't want 15 here. Is this, why don't you do it after? Or why don't you not make it into a parade? Uh, It's weird because on the road, when you do the checks, when the checks drop on the road, it's not a madhouse.
0: In New York, it seems that the fastest the servers are moving is just when they're going to do that one moment. Yeah. I'm like, let's do it in waves. We could do something. There's
1: another way to go about this, but nope. <laughs> anyway, so it was interesting when Seinfeld, when when I remember, actually, it was, that's right, because it was 88. Because I saw him, I didn't see him. Uh, it was 1990. I wasn't paying for comedy. Uh, I've never paid. I One time I paid to see the one-liner guy from Boston, who's hilarious, uh, whose name is escaping me. You know, how old uh, or young? Uh, older, or uh, like my older, uh, like it is uh, probably sixty right now. But because he's, but he's the guy, right? He was, yeah, like, the
0: guy, Steve Wright.
1: That's it, Steven Wright. Steve so Wright. I paid for him one time because I was, it was 19, it had to be nineteen eighty-seven, and I was like, I gotta see what forty-five minutes of that looks like. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you something, it wasn't all one-liners. Stephen Wright.
0: Wow, interesting. It,
1: because it can't, it could not be sustained, because of course, people would of lose their minds and decide to live their lives and go. I'll come back, and he'll probably still be talking. Uh, so it was a little storytelling. There was a little more to it. It was great. Uh, he's a genius, obviously. But um, the so when I'm gonna eventually let you talk Gianmarco. and uh <laughs> i love hearing about steve right that's great <laughs> but i will tell you this is when jerry seinfeld played minneapolis i moved to minneapolis in 1990
0: uh-huh. and
1: um so the this the show had been on for two maybe three seasons it was doing good but it wasn't it hadn't blown up right
0: yeah and yeah. so
1: he was playing a a, a decent sized theater it was probably eight uh 800 to a thousand people and um there were I've told the story many times. Rangers, hear it again, hear it again. So they're all all the comics, all the young comics would hang out with the the mogul of Minneapolis comedy at that time was a man named Scott Hansen, and Scott Hansen had five clubs in 1992 in Minneapolis, five clubs, uh, and he was a button pusher extraordinaire. Just passed away a couple of years ago. Um, I have a giant scar on my finger right here. Uh, it is because he. Oh my God! He made me so mad. I, and then I punched a wall. So wow. guess who's the bad guy? I'm not the hero of that story. So, uh, but neither is he. Anyway, so there are no heroes in that story. But here's the scoop. He's in, he's a big guy, he weighs maybe five 600 pounds.
0: If I saw you punch a wall, I'd be telling that story on every podcast <laughs> for the rest of my life.
1: Right, right. In the, and in 1993, when it happened, um, I bet you it was... Um, it was definitely yeah. There was there would have been a reason to tell it because I had very little control over my entire life in 1993. They should do
0: that instead of having comics sign the walls. That's so cliche. <laughs> Every comic should punch a hole in the wall until the club <laughs> falls down and it's right. time for a new one. New
1: club, new club. <laughs> the uh, um, so anyway. Seinfeld uh, goes up. He comes off stage. He's doing something, what I think is the quintessential Seinfeld thing in the green room after the show. There's probably four or five male comics. I heard this from one of the dudes who was there. And if you hung out with Scott Hansen, the guy who owned the clubs in Minneapolis, you would always eat. So if you were broke you would hang out with Scott and you're like oh, yeah. every 20 to 40 minutes where there's going to be a pizza ordered or some fucking thing. I gotta, you know, it was a way to save money. It was dumb. But, um, so they're all sitting around the green room and Scott's trying to talk Jerry into going to do a set at one of his five clubs. And Jerry's like, no, I've already done stand up. I'm done. But, but get, get this. Jerry Seinfeld is sitting in the green room with Scott and all these comics, sewing a button on his shirt.
0: Can't oh, you man. picture it?
1: It's like an episode of the Seinfeld. And so he goes, I've already performed. I don't want to. And so they're talking and Scott finally goes, well, do you want to go get something to eat? And while he's sewing, Seinfeld goes, Scott, you've eaten. And, uh, oh. yeah, which is brutal and not, and not nice. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> very Seinfeld. Cause that's the thing about Seinfeld is it wasn't particularly nice. That
0: show, yeah, I, I, yeah, oh no, well, that's what I love about it. I, <laughs> I, I, I like, I like mean comedy. I did improv, and the teacher always said, "Jamarco, be nice." Oh, like it, it was the yeah, you note. Know, yeah. Like, I'd follow the rules. I'd say yes and, but it was like yes and you suck. <laughs> and and Dude. the teacher was like, "That's not cool." That's how I knew I needed to be a stand up because right, right, I just solo you know. work,
1: solo work. Yeah.
0: So I like, I like that meanness. I don't know. I think the thesis of everything I do is just like, yeah, everyone's bad. Okay, and Seinfeld. At Seinfeld, they they I think it was Larry or Jerry where they both they were like no sentiment, no sentimentality ever. There's not a moment in that show. And that's why the finale didn't fully work, in my opinion, because there is no there is no conclusiveness.
1: Right, there's you no repercussions.
0: You can't bring it to a head because there was no momentum. You right. just should have gone out with a good episode. That's right. it.
1: Right, they're just like, "I'll see you tomorrow," and uh, sort of the Sopranos, where just they're sitting at a they're sitting at that diner, and then it just fades to black, and you're like, "Oh, they continue to live their lives." Lady in the I could see
0: someone killing George. I could totally see someone (laughs) killing George.
1: Right, it doesn't have to be a gunshot. Yeah, it was interesting about the guy who played George, who. has a Jason name. Jason Alexander. Thank you very much, Jason Alexander. Um, I, I believe I saw an interview with him once where he said, I don't understand how people relate to these characters. They're monsters. My character is the biggest asshole in the world. Why would you relate to this guy?
0: Yeah. I think that's like Larry David, again, with Kirby Enthusiasm, which which is it's like second wave of this kind of comedy. Right. I, I've heard from uh, w- women on dating apps that at least men my age, I'm in my 30s and 20s. There's so many that say Larry David is my spirit animal or Kirby Enthusiasm is my best show. Mm-hmm. And I think what it is, it's just like, again, <laughs> I, I, I I don't want to say this is just a Jewish thing, but as a Jew and with a girlfriend as a Jew, I think like the complaining there's there's something about like it's okay to complain. Sure. It's okay to like talk about the nice event. And complaining doesn't mean you didn't have a good time. It doesn't mean right. you don't want to go back. Right. And I think But like, did you notice Larry...
1: that there were toothpicks that didn't have the curly cues on top? That of was course. Like, you're like.
0: <laughs> and so I think like people who are not in that realm, Larry David is like it's like the first time they're like, Yeah, I always had complaints too that I never thought we could talk about. And we can be fun about it, so they overrelate. Yes, and it, it, they're like, "Okay, well, I can be an asshole now." And it's like, "Well, no, this is exaggerated." Right, I, right. Th- well, that's and, the part they miss.
1: Right, right, and uh, it makes me glad I'm not on the dating app, though. I will say, when I was dating, it was two thousand in two thousand, and and so and the and the joy that was there. Were, I had a, I have a friend who once said to me, "There are people who like friends, and there are people who like Seinfeld." And I have recently had people in their 20s and 30s say Friends is also super mean. It is also super self-absorbed and and full of jackasses. And um, but I loved Friends. I think I loved it because it was a little less mean and it was couched in some sentiment. But they weren't particularly any nicer.
0: Yeah, I just think the sentiment I don't know. I, I especially now these days. This was always my complaint with Parks and Recreation, where every two episodes, like friendship's really important, right? And I was like, "What the
1: fuck are you Wait, talking about? You don't like anime? Is that what I'm hearing? Is that what I'm hearing?
0: You don't I, like? <laughs> I grew up in. I grew up anime. I grew up in anime, but I like the cynical anime. Right. I, that was my other. That was my other dark thought. So no Dragon anime. Ball Z.
1: No. Um- uh, Dragon, Ball really, Dragon Ball Z. I did like Dragon Ball Z. Naruto? You didn't like Naruto? Every episode is about friendship. It's like, you know who's great? This guy. I'm going to hang in the sky and be full of rage, but my, he's got my back. And uh, yeah. So, but the thing is, is you get to like, I, I mean, I was kid I was just busting your chops because um, no, no, you yeah. get to like both. That's fine. I mean, the thing is, is what you love about Seinfeld is that it it's completely, there's no point.
0: Yeah, and it's and 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 it's very funny. First, the show for a mainstream show, Seinfeld was so meta. There were so many meta references right,
1: inside Once baseball, kind of.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so uh, the, the 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 history of the show it was amazing because a the the test audiences hated the pilot. <laughs> they said it was too Jewish. They said it was too New York. Right. Um, and they like released it as this crazy thing where they filmed it like a, they, they they aired it in the Saturday Night Live slot and it was like a special. It was like how a stand-up comedian makes their material. That was the, the pitch right. of it. Mm-hmm. And then they did a four-episode order for a first season and it was just like everything about it seemed doomed to fail. And they were like,
1: this is never going to go. This is never going to be popular. So they did one and they aired it like Saturday night at 10.30?
0: Yeah, yeah, they aired it, and then uh, they made uh, four
1: episodes.
0: They yeah, they did four episodes after that, and they demanded the first episode does not have a lane. It was just like three dudes, and the one network note that they gave, they said you have to have a woman.
1: I am gonna, I am gonna sharpen this pen. Uh, yes, it's it's so sad for Carol Leifer. Yes. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. And and I, uh, uh, you know, uh, Larry David had worked with. Uh, 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 Julie Louis-Dreyfus on SNL. Larry David did one year of SNL mm-hmm. and then did a show called Fridays, I think it was yeah. called. The SNL competitor with Michael Richards was on Friday. Okay. But just this cast, I think what's incredible about Seinfeld is first, Jerry Seinfeld, not a good
1: actor. <laughs> oh,
0: those not first a couple of
1: seasons. Those first couple of seasons, you're like, you're watching everyone just sort of carry him around from one part of that that the set to the other. And yeah. him just
0: woodenly saying things. <laughs> but it feels right for the show. Like, it feels, they you know, it's it's one of the few comic-driven shows where it just, it feels like they they did it. He never had to overextend himself. It's just him <laughs> complaining. It's just him doing bits. But that cast is incredible. That cast is incredible.
1: Yeah. He got Jason Alexander, Ju- Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and um Michael Richards to literally... And everybody else was, was, and granted, they were sketch or they were improv, but they weren't stand-ups. And trying to teach a stand-up comic how to act is its own project. And the fact that it was successful created all of the 1990s where everybody got, or many, many deals were cut with comics that were not, who couldn't even act to the level of Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> right. Or they didn't do the casting right around them to hold him up. Right. Of
0: course. Of course. And. Uh, uh, Jerry, like notoriously, he, he really talks. Uh, he doesn't respect acting very much. He doesn't respect the concept of acting. And I started as an actor. I'm, I'm one of these. Uh, oh, actor right. Right. Turned you comedians were, right
1: improv. That- Acting, improv, well, and then stand
0: up. I went to I went to college for musical theater. I was an I wanted to be Daniel Day Lewis. I okay. was an actor. I studied yes. all the teachers, and like Seinfeld, notoriously just kind of goes like, "Hey, memorize your lines. Why are you getting a trophy? You said someone else's lines." Wow, nice and impression. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I I uh, uh, believe me, I've auditioned a couple times. his voice. and when, to, to and when voice. you first
1: started doing stand up, did you find yourself doing a little bit of his observational style?
0: I think a little. I think I. I more like sounded too much like Mulaney, but Mulaney definitely feels like of the trajectory of Seinfeld, like yeah, in yeah. terms of of that kind of well, voice. And you
1: have to find your own voice eventually, anyway. So you're going to sound like somebody.
0: Yeah, um, I think that's the thing about Seinfeld. Is just like he was so. You know, part of it feels hacky now, that idea of like, what's the deal with... But he really crystallized some version of that. It's hacky
1: because it's been hacked. I mean, there was him and a handful of guys were doing that super observational version. Yeah. And it was set-up punch, set-up punch. And, and he was in that era when when it was you were supposed to get something like... A laugh every second and a half, and there was this like in 60 seconds, in every minute, you were supposed to get something like 30 laughs. And you're like, Wild. Well, you're out of your goddamn mind. And but it was because that was his thing. But I remember the first time I saw um, and I didn't even see it, I heard Richard Pryor, uh, a Richard Pryor album. And we're talking 15 years ago. I never listened to Stand Up. So yeah. I'm listening to this thing, and I was like, Oh. I see where everything else came from, right? I mean, there was there's so many guys who came from that place, and then made it their own, obviously, right? Like Bernie yeah. Mac and all of the kings of comedy, they're all doing some version of Richard Pryor, uh, sure. and, and, and until they had their own voice, and but Richard Pryor like opened the door, and much like Seinfeld, opened the door to talking about the mundane and making it really funny and personalizing it.
0: Yeah, and. I, I don't know. Sometimes you hear old Seinfeld. It's very. I was I was watching that George Carlin documentary, and they're both kind of comedians that like. I think in their weaker times, get a little bit too obsessed with language. Yeah. Like Seinfeld loves to be like, you go in the train, but you go on the boardwalk. Yeah. On the inn. And you're like, who gives a fuck about any where of this? He's it's just, just that way because he's fishing, it is. He's
1: fishing for premises. I don't know if you've ever, <laughs> where you're just like, what else happened? Did anything else happen? I got to find a premise. And he's, a, I, he's I, the guy that writes that joke. So.
0: I went to the taping of his Netflix special, where he did all the old material.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, the Uh, last uh, time?
0: Yeah, the last time. No, 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 not the Broadway one, but he did like a Netflix one where he like did all his material up to his first Carson appearance. Oh, weird. It was like his first Netflix special. And he, they didn't say that during the show. So he was doing these materials about like, he was doing a chunk on on cotton balls. And I'm sitting there like, what the fuck? (laughs) You're talking about cotton balls in 2022? And then he did some bit about his parents moving to Florida. And I was like, your parents are dead. Oh, this is all old material. Yeah, they might want to
1: let people in on that. That's nuts.
0: It was very strange. When I realized it, I was like, oh, okay, good. I get good. the conceit.
1: I, good. Yeah, they're going to have to sweeten the hell out of this, the first 20 minutes of this, until everybody realizes what the hell is going on. <laughs> that's so funny.
0: But the first time I saw him in New York, I was so excited. And then at a certain point, if I was hosting the second show at Gotham, and I came in and Seinfeld was on the first show, I was like, my show's starting late. My show's starting oh, late. That's, that's what that means.
1: Yeah. it's. Uh, there's a certain point in your career where you're like, you have to – be aware of the fact that everybody wants to get up, and if you're doing a work in this one right here, I can strong arm my way in uh, over at Flappers for a sure. five, for a five, and uh, <laughs> and if I run the light, I've done a
0: seven. Oh so. my god! I I I was once hosting at a West Side Comedy Club in New York, mm-hmm. and Jerry Seinfeld, like right before, tweeted, "I'm going to go to West Side Comedy Club," but tweeted the Twitter for the West Side at your end in L.A. And so like West Side in your end had to like clarify Seinfeld is not coming here. Right. Then Seinfeld just tweeted in New York and I'm hosting. And so people start realizing this mid show that Seinfeld's coming. And the number of yarmulkes that came into this club, <laughs> it was because we were on the Upper West Side. So right. they were all there. Okay. And it was so funny to watch just this just crowd of Jews just come in mid show. So excited. Oh, to see Jerry bastards. Seinfeld. Poor
1: things. Yeah, They didn't yeah. get to, they didn't get to see him. I think it's, um, so, so, uh, did you ever write a spec? Wait, you're probably not old enough to, for that. That would have been a spec.
0: Cause yeah, I it wrote been a spec. spec.
1: I wrote a Seinfeld spec.
0: <laughs> That's it's, so cool. It's terrible.
1: So it's not Is good. Is it bad? I, well, uh, neither one of this, I wrote a spin city spec mm. and, uh, at a Seinfeld spec and, uh, the Seinfeld spec, uh, the only thing i liked out of it wasn't even mine it was my buddy jim who who watches it all the time and he and i wrote on his idea and the idea was that um um george gets on the bus and the bus driver has a really big belt buckle and george makes a crack about it and the bus driver uh, gets really mad at him And uh, so the rest of the show, George keeps buying bigger and bigger belt buckles and gets and tries to find that bus driver again.
0: (laughs) I like that Um, a lot.
1: Right. Because there's nothing there. That's all it is. It's just him humiliating himself with a giant belt buckle.
0: Did Uh, you ever read the spec script uh, by Billy? What's his name? He did a Seinfeld the day after 9-11.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, you have read this? It, it was
0: like, it was this crazy thing. It was a script that went viral. Yeah. And it was the funniest thing. Because it, it was about nothing, but it was like involving all these things. Kramer right. had lent his box cutters to what ended up being one of the terrorists. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, I, I, Elaine was about to break up with a guy who was a fireman who went in and now he was a hero. But she was like really trying to break up with him (laughs) and it's this incredible it's it's i would i would pay real money to see them read that script out loud
1: wow that is amazing it's amazing that's uh yeah i don't see those guys uh buying toothpaste and and bringing it down uh for everybody remember when everybody was bringing toothpaste uh, yes. to people. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. they're
1: like, well, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> and you're like, how about get out of the way? And uh, sure. <laughs> sir, <laughs> it's, uh, that, um, that is super dark. I'm surprised actually that they haven't done a table read of that for like the 25th anniversary. Maybe they'll do it for the 25th anniversary on 9-11.
0: That would that would be that would be something that'd be
1: super dark
0: and, I don't know if Michael Richards is like yeah let me try let me see if I can make this this right, the, the thing I'm known for
1: right maybe this is how I, I rebuild my career it's so, uh yeah. I do feel uh, some I had um, I don't have any sympathy for Michael Richards I have sympathy for stand-up comics who for actors who start stand-up comedy after they've become famous yeah right because he didn't really do stand-up. And then, so he didn't really know how to do crowd control. And the Laugh Factory in L.A. is, uh, it's a ball pit at a McDonald's. It's dumb. So there's no way to, but what does happen, as you will know from doing stand-up comedy for, by the way, I am talking with Gianmarco Cerezi, and it is spelled S-O-R. E S I, and that is his handle on all the things, and he has a podcast called The Downside, and he's going to be in Toronto, and then he's going to be in Irvine and Oxnard. So go find him and watch him do stand up comedy. But um, when when you are in a heckler situation, you say you end up saying the meanest things that you can think of, and I luckily the meanest thing is absolutely never have thought well i'm going to drop the n word sure uh, right. sure but maybe maybe my, my racism uh is is somehow manifests in a different way it turns out it's not me saying horrible things to people of color or to jews or to women but i to other women i've called other women cunts
0: i i called someone a cunt in my first year of stand up and it was really bad
1: uh you know it was really well and in your first year of stand up you don't know how when to use uh, like you blow up too soon. Of course, yeah, of course. Which is and I and, I
0: and I call I call men cunts too if it helps at all. Right. But it, you know, it was one of those where where they were heckling. It was a bar show, and it was this thing where she where she was like, I would do the setup. And she'd be like, Go on. No, keep going. Uh, and it's one of those things where you're trapped. You're trapped. You go on. You're you're obeying right. the heckle.
1: Right, and she's screwing with your timing. She should oh, be removed immediately. And uh, sure. because that is not how stand-up comedy works. We don't need a cheerleader in the middle of the setup, please. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so you have to stop and to go, if you want to hear this joke, for real, and I assume that you do not, uh, you have to be all super. Maria Bamford had one of the greatest uh, heckler lines. She was like, I see that you want to be in the show. I'm going to cast you in the show. You are now going to be playing uh, the mute girl and action
0: oh my god that's amazing <laughs>
1: and so uh it is a delight uh to work with Maria Bedford. so uh, but the thing is 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 when like in in my early days i would blow up too soon and i would go too dark too quickly
0: Yes, yeah. Jackie, Jackie we, we heard the punch the wall story. We know that you blew up too soon.
1: <laughs> right, there was trouble. And sadly, that was easily six years in. So uh, that should have been.
0: I feel that all the time. Like there's something, there's nothing to me, my theory has always been like, there's nothing funny about real anger, like impotent yes. anger. So like there, sometimes I'll tell an audience member, be like, shut the fuck up. And it's funny. Yep. And then there's sometimes, there's something that changes in my tone. Yep. I go, shut the fuck up. Yep. And it's like, boom, the audience goes, whoa. Yes. This that's, is not fun.
1: Right. It's, it's what I call the four levels of, of heckler. The first heckler you try to ignore. And then the second one, you're like, uh, hey, whisper fucks, uh, what are you under a helicopter or whatever? Right. Uh-huh. You jokingly tell them to shut the fuck up. Third one, you jokingly attack them. And then the fourth level is literally you have to get them out of the room to continue the program. That is when I've decided I don't ever want to get to level to Defcon four ever again, which I think is the other way with Defcon. But I will yeah. I will walk off. I will sit down. I will Chad Daniels this thing. So
0: what's so funny is like I've done some casinos, seems to be casinos where they're like, if anyone, you need anyone to move, do the classic. They look like they need some water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and was, I, I, I did it once. There's a bachelorette party. And I was like, they need some water some water here for these folks. No one came. No one came. And at the end, they, at the end, they were like, well, it seemed like you were handling it pretty well up there. And I was like, what, what do you want? You want me to start crying for you to take me seriously? <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course I handled it well. That was the, that was what I'm trying to do. And then yeah. you do the secret part. Yeah. You be the principal, not yeah. me.
1: Right, right. Your, your job, the, the, and I've told this story before too, Rangers, you gotta love it. Uh, is, uh, I was doing an Indian casino in Northern Michigan where you were not allowed to be mean to the audience, and you were not allowed Mm. to swear at all. And you couldn't make fun of the casino, which I wasn't going to do, or gambling, which I also wasn't going to do. But there were two super drunk dudes in the front row who would not stop, would not stop. And finally, I was like, can you get your buddy out of here? And he goes, nope. And you ever get so mad. Sometimes in stand-up comedy, you get so mad, you see those red dots.
0: You see Uh those red dots. Uh
1: And I looked around, and for the first time at a a casino gig, there was not a security guy. So, um, I literally was like, well, but I can't do anything. And because when you feel that sort of powerlessness on stage, I've decided to never feel that again, but, um, the, but what you do when you think that you're somehow tougher and you can power through this and you don't want to get prorated and you need to get paid. Uh, and so you stay up and do your time. You're like, all right. Um, I literally felt, and this I'm pretty proud of myself. I've never done it since, but I fell to my knees and made the sign of the cross and tried to pray them out of the room.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was
1: like, please, God, bless these men away from me. I hope that they win at all of their cards and games and all the things out of this room. And they did get up and leave. And but here's the weird thing. Uh, then I had to stand up. I'm not uh-huh. a gazelle. This uh, I don't fall <laughs> to the ground and get up, uh, even in, even when I was forty. So uh, <laughs> it was not it wasn't pretty is what I was saying. I was like, did you guys know I did physical you, comedy? You, you
0: you had to call them back to help you up. Yeah, You're like, guys, hey guys, come back you, here for one second.
1: <laughs> so so I just uh, the the what are your fa- let's uh, you know we're forty minutes into this thing. What's sure. your favorite episodes?
0: Well, I think like the the interesting about Seinfeld is like I learned a lot about sex from Seinfeld it was a very like it talked okay. about sex a lot like it was very much like are they staying over are we gonna be friends and still have sex and like the the two episodes and I was at that age where it was still it was anything about sex was so titillating right right so just like oh my god and one that will always I'll always remember I thought but like as I became an adult like that sponges were a bigger thing with sex because Elaine had a whole episode where like the sponge she was using for sex And again, I I didn't even know Does the sponge go in? Does it go over? Who the fuck knows But I th- she, Basically, the sponge is discontinued So she has, like, five more sponges And so she's deciding her sexual partners Are they sponge-worthy <laughs> and I don't I must remember have been, that
1: line But I bet you that was the line
0: Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely yeah. Sponge-worthy was, I mean, this this show was so good At coming up with, with like, words yeah, and yeah. phrases Yeah, uh, yeah and so, so like that's how I learned about like,
1: right? I, I, I guess a- that you had to be worthy. Yeah. About
0: contraceptive. About like, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta be worth it. Right. I. I
1: right. And that, so, like, there was a lot of worth it. Whether or not people were worth it socially, whether they were worth it sexually, whether they were, and what was that? Was George got engaged to some woman who was very wealthy.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, uh, oh, what was her name, Susie? Was it Susie? Susan, maybe? Susan, Susan. And, uh-huh. um,
1: and so, and he was constantly going, I think the fact that they have a cabin and that she's got all of this, this, this other, this crap, like, and, and, and Michael Richards character Kramer was like, her dad's got good cigars. You know, I mean, like, like all of these things were like, are these are, these are on her side. The other side, she snores. She has a, an eyebrow twitch, some sort of, you know, something in minuscule that you're like, is yeah. this like, What are your favorite worth it? Like,
0: I, uh, one was kind of the inverse of it was Seinfeld deciding to break up with someone because he had like a voice that he liked to do where he went, hello, and he thought it was very funny. And this woman was like, this, the voice has got to (laughs) stop. Is it, you got to pick, is it me or the voice? And (gasps) then they had this whole montage of like Seinfeld at the beach, like. Just contemplating, like, what was worth of this relationship <laughs> or this new funny voice, and she comes in one day and and she's like, "So, have you chosen?" And he turned to her and said, "Hello." And she <laughs> storms out, and it was, uh, it, it was it was an it was an amazingly petty show, an right. amazingly petty show.
1: It, it was super petty, but there were scenes in it that were that are iconic that people still oh. reference, and yeah.
0: The he, He's dating a woman I have been in this situation I'm very bad with names oh, Terrible with names so I. Embarrassing
1: Didn't remember embarrassing. we met in, At Flappers Until you told sure. me And then I was like Oh yeah I, I remember I that writing.
0: guy yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah You remember Jay though That's convenient but, Right so- <laughs> Very
1: <laughs> 50 years of him Staring at me
0: <laughs> <laughs> But uh, there was an episode Where Jerry's dating someone And he does not know Her name And she says, well, people made fun of me because it rhymes with a, you know, a part of the female anatomy.
1: Right, right. And
0: so they're going crazy. And and she eventually confronts him. The worst question you want, what's my name? And he can't get it. She leaves. And right as she leaves, he goes, Dolores! (laughs) Dolores!
1: Oh my God. The speculation is that he couldn't also find bl- the clitoris. That yeah. would be the joke that I would also, it was like, you would remember the word Dolores if you knew where the clitoris was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, huh? that's the joke I would have made. I once, um, here's too much information. I once had sex with a guy that I thought was, his name was Steve. It turns out it wasn't Steve. Or it was uh, because I remember I called him Steve and he said, it's Jim or, uh, or Larry or whatever the hell his name was. And then he got super mad and I, and I saw him like a week later at the bar, at a bar in college. It was just college sex. It wasn't the end of the world. And, uh, and he wasn't, it was a, it was a weird, the whole experience was not entirely positive. We were on the floor of the laundry room. Anyway, how I was a classy dame, is what I'm gonna say to Eugene Marco.
0: Yeah, I don't know if yeah. you know
1: this about me. When I used to drink, there was a it was just I was a lady. Anyway, so uh yeah. Anyway, so I ran into him and I remembered his name when I saw him and I was like, but I called him the wrong name. Uh speaking of live action pettiness, and so he was very mad. Anyway, so but he was That's crazy
0: to be mad. You met that did you that meet night. that
1: that, that night. night? That night.
0: There wasn't a long courtship period. There was
1: no courtship. There was very. There was little to no courtship. There was a condom. That's what I do distinctly. Remember hey, at all yeah. times. At all times. I come from a very fertile people, so um. And I didn't want any part of it. So uh, the yeah. So there's. It's hard to Dolores. That was. That's a great. That was. I do remember that episode. I remember the episode where they they didn't want to masturbate.
0: That's it's it's the uh, the 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 bet or the, I think it's right. called the bet or the it's the competition. It's one of the most, yeah, it's
1: one of the most famous episodes. I think
0: one of the most famous and just again, it's like you know a lot with sex. My general theory is like it's better to like talk about these things early, and I just feel like at an early age, I was like, I was like, oh okay, that was an episode of oh everyone does it. Right. Like, I think that's a thing people learn sometimes later in life where it's like, oh, everyone. And and like Elaine being a part of it felt, you know, I, so I'm good. sure there could be a, a better feminist message in the grand scheme. But, but like time, in terms of talking about it. Yeah,
1: it was it genuinely there was the, there was a it I think it changed a lot of people's minds about because nobody really did talk about it. It was sort of like when Bill Hicks first started doing material about porn Nobody else was doing material about porn. And then nobody can stop, actually, at this time. Currently, nobody can stop doing material about porn. It's, a, it's, a, it's got a little world gone bad. Yeah. But, uh, but I will say that Bill Hicks, when he initially talked about porn, he would say, he, he did that sort of line that we've all done since then, which is, oh, I'm the only one. Yeah. And it really opened the door for other, for, and and if you can admit, that's one of the great things about sitcoms. Is that when like Will and Grace, I will tell you that Will and Grace did more for gay rights than any number of things. But if you try to watch Will and Grace right now, you're going to want to cut yourself
2: because
1: it doesn't feel super even liberal. It feels it feels hard. You're just like, no, I know what you're trying to do. And at the time they were trying to do so they were making him into a person, you know, who happened to be
0: gay. And that's the thing with like Elaine as like a character, and, and you know, this could be because they couldn't write outside of themselves, but like Elaine is just as shitty as the rest of them. She's a monster. She is just as like, <laughs> I'll break up with the guy, I'll fuck the guy. It's just like she deals with it in, in no, She's no one of the different guys. way. Yes. They're human. They're all superhuman.
1: Yes, yes. And
0: that's that's what I love about it.
1: That is pretty great. It is um I don't know. Yeah, I think that her character on that thing was – because they didn't want to make – Carol Ann Leifer was who it was based on, I believe, right? Carol Leifer?
0: I think so, yeah.
1: And But they didn't want to make it two comedians. And yeah. so I forget what Elaine did for Job.
0: Elaine, she did a lot of different things, but ultimately she worked. She worked in like fashion, but like more of an assistant. Uh, she, she worked for John O'Hurley – She was, like, his assistant and helped him with things. So it was this loose kind of fashion, but not, like, in the artistic element of it.
1: Okay. Okay. What did, like, I know that George worked for the baseball team for a second, for a hot minute. And then what did you...
0: Yeah, I for what did George do? Like George then got the estate, and then he didn't. George was unemployed. Of all the all the people, yeah. George was unemployed. Almost a great always deal unemployed.
1: At the time. Yeah, and then Michael Richards, he was always he was always running some scam, right? It's
0: always some scam. Always did you some scam. like
1: the 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 Paul Reiser spinoff of that show? Did you know Which, that? Did you know that the the Helen Hunt Paul Reiser. TV show and friends are in the same universe as Seinfeld? No. Yes. Oh my god. Oh yes. wow. I might have just blown your mind. Yeah, because oh my god. um uh Paul Reiser's Michael Richards is in Paul Reiser's old apartment.
0: Oh. He is subletting. Fascinating.
1: Yes. And um and Phoebe's sister was a waitress. Uh, at at a place where Seinfeld and and everybody went to.
0: I like that a lot.
1: Yeah. So they were all, they were all in the same uh, mythical New York where nobody's black. And uh, all three of those, there's absolutely no people of color. That is something um, to
0: remember. Seinfeld was, it was, it was pretty bad. Pretty bad.
1: I remember when Aisha Tyler was on um, Friends and then she did the Dork Forest. And I said, you were on Friends, right? And she was like, Jackie, that was 12 years ago. I have a career. I have a whole career. It's going well. I don't know if you know that. And I was like, I don't. I, don't. I know that you're very funny. Your stand-up is great. And she was like, hmm, let's keep talking about video games. And yeah. uh, so yeah. that episode was actually a great episode uh, of the Dork Forest, if you ever want to listen, to go back into the archives, the long boxes. But um, what's another favorite?
0: Um I mean Soup Nazi is is oh, yeah. the the most classic. What I love about Soup Nazi is they open up a brand of stores. I mean, think about how what, are, are TV shows ever going to be successful to this degree where you open a, a chain based on a fictional store. Oh,
1: spun but what, off.
0: Yes. Really? But what I love about it is that oh yeah, there's there's several. You can buy it online. What's
1: it called? Uh, is it is well, called Well, this is Soup a funny Nazi. thing.
0: Well, there you go. It's called Soup Man. The Soup Man. Okay. And it's very funny because it's his picture on the thing and the, the actor, I think. And it's like, it's not the soup man. It's the soup Nazi. Right. It's a soup man. What the right. fuck is that? Was it? But cal- you can't.
1: You can't call it the soup Nazi. That's never going to franchise. Um, wow. I remember that. I know that there's a Bubba Gump. That came out of Forrest Gump.
0: <laughs> That's true. Bubba Gump's is, is a, a brutally bad restaurant. It's a terrible in, in restaurant that came
1: out of a really, really horrible movie. I've never enjoyed uh, the idea that they made that movie, where they celebrated someone so dumb. Uh, anyway, um, guess that what? Could
0: be a, I could see that as a series, going to every fictional restaurant from things.
1: Right, right. Yeah, you're just like, oh, are we going to get to go to the Circle Q and Ms. Marvel? Anyway, <laughs> um, so... Um, Yeah. So there was a lot of food related ones, weren't there?
0: There was a lot. There was a a great one was a yogurt shop that opened up that said they were fat free, but then everyone started uh, putting on (laughs) weight. And it was because Kramer was so, Kramer was the one who was like, yeah, you're getting fat. Like Kramer just told the truth. Yeah. And and they were shocked. And then they they did like a science test to see if it was in, if there was, you know, fat in the thing. And Newman got really upset. And Um, they had the famous episode called the, it was the Chinese restaurant where they were just waiting for a table. And apparently the network was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) They just wait for the table the whole episode. They thought, they thought it was like the, the way it sounds like is they were constantly like, are you just being an asshole to us? Like, I don't understand. We gave you a show and right. You just being a jerk. And it ended up being so good.
1: Right. Right. Like literally it was – and then did wasn't there a meta episode about the the fact that the show wasn't about
2: anything?
0: Well, there was a whole season where Jerry gets a deal to pitch to NBC, and uh, I, they say the show is about nothing. And, and George – it sounds like Larry David was very difficult when they were pitching this meeting. Like, Larry David, if he got notes, he'd go, no, I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> and that's what George does in the thing. And uh, yeah, there's a whole. They do a whole season I where want they cast Seinfeld
1: with you, Gianmarco. That's <laughs> uh, I don't want to watch it alone. I think that that sounds sad, but to watch it with others, I think might be yeah, might be the way to go. My brothers and then cur- love it. And
0: yeah. then Curb Your Enthusiasm did the truly the greatest reunion, where they did a whole season of Curb Your Enthusiasm where they. They bring back, they're going to do a season. And so they, it's about him cajoling all the four of them to do the show again. Okay. Honestly, for Michael Richards, probably the only, the, the only way that this meta version, were they able to like sort of address this, this thing that felt insurmountable. To really well, come back from.
1: Yeah, it's really hard when you've when you've made such a huge error of how to apologize and how to not seem insincere because you still want to work. But also... One of, one
0: of the yeah. greatest... I mean, I think about it all the time. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld... It's Michael Richards is apologizing on, I believe, David Letterman. And Jerry Seinfeld's there and Michael Richards is on the TV screen. He's like live streaming into it. Um, and he comes out there and the audience can't stop laughing and jerry seinfeld goes in a rare moment of just like kind of anger he goes it's it's not funny yeah and it's just one of those like 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 a like a twilight zone type thing this comedian cannot right. be taken seriously to apologize
1: yeah which is uh, sort of the the dice clay where everyone's like well that's a, he filled Madison Square Garden with assholes yeah, because he was doing a character that was an asshole. And all uh-huh. of a sudden his fan base turns out was made up of people who thought he was serious. And um, you're like, well, it's the only punishment you get for portraying an asshole is, uh, is that your fan base becomes jackasses. And yep. um, so like my fan base, are you kidding? Angels, angels, you mm. Rangers are, you're all just a beautiful bunch of people. But so, okay. There was a, there was a, a, a babka. There was a babka. The babka. That was a food yeah. one. I'm kind of interested in the food ones. And but have you what is a is a babka just a pastry?
0: Uh, or is it a bread? Well, as a Jew, I know every single one of these things. Uh it's like it's like a it's like a hearty bread. You can get babka like my girlfriend and I made a babka that was like more savory, and there was like pistachio and peppery things, but it, it can be very dessert based. Okay, but it says like a, it's a it's a thick it's loaf. It's different
1: than hala, though, right? It's not.
0: Yes, no hala is just like a it's just a bread. Just and the a challah bread. bread. Incredible, it's, fluffy. It's light. It's it's a, babka is like it it's could be a an entree. You want to eat with a
1: nice soup. Maybe, or just as you know, you're having a nice meal, you're going to rip off, you're going to enjoy a challah. But a babka, yeah. that could be like that, that's a special bread that's either sweet or savory um, that someone has brought. And a, a chocolate babka is, of course, the gold standard of babka. God knows. Amazing.
0: It's, uh, the, it's the best.
1: It must be. <laughs>
0: So they they just dealt with like Seinfeld dealt with like customer service and like just just the little frustrations right in the world and that that stand up comedians that was Seinfeld's voice and Larry David's voice and it it just launched all so many things every time I talk about every time I talk about you know complaining about uh, if I if I you know, try to find a new airplane bit or try to find a customer service bit it's all like well how do I differentiate this from what was been done, and right. they did it
1: right. Right. Well, and that is, it is hard when when there's these sweeping topics that seem to have been nailed, right? Like someone has done a um uh, the there the my my classic example is colorization. Uh, Ted Turner invented the colorization of. Of movies, right? Old black and yeah. white movies. are like people don't like to watch black and white movies. We're gonna we're gonna make sure that everybody knows the grass is green and her hair is blonde, and uh, so Ted Turner did this, and it was uh, mixed results, right? Uh, most people are like, I can. I'm an adult. I can watch a black and white movie that was purposefully, in some cases, shot in black and white. And um, Jay Leno, while subbing for Johnny Carson in the early '80s, did what I think is the definitive colorization joke. Because I had just started doing stand-up, so it must have been 84, 85. And I was thinking about doing a colorization joke. And I was watching Carson one night, and I heard him do it, and I was like, well, never mind. And it was... What did he say? It was... He literally just opened his set with, you know, I understand that Ted Turner is colorizing the first 10 minutes of The Wizard of Oz. And the audience shut down on him. They literally were just like, what? And then he had to tag it and he didn't have a good tag, which is unfortunate because the joke itself was epic. You know, where there's this, you ever hear a joke and you're just like, I heard one, a Dennis Regan joke the other day. And a Dennis Regan, I guess said, I went swimming and I'm going to paraphrase, but I went, Dennis Regan, very funny. Uh, I went swimming off the coast of Florida and I saw a shark there's no music. And you're like, oh my God, that is the perfect that's a perfect shark joke. Yeah. <laughs> sharks, you could you still you can still keep writing. You still keep writing about sharks. You don't have to stop writing about sharks. Um but yeah, but it was uh but Seinfeld must if you want to do observational comedy Sure. And did they always show his stand up at the end of it?
0: Uh they explored different things at different Different times, but yeah, yeah, they they would always kind of open, open with it, end with it. And I think it got, I heard later as like the show went on, he kind of like ran out of like stand-up. Sometimes it was relevant and sometimes it was like, this is just a random bit that has nothing (laughs) to do. It turns out he
1: does stand-up. Did you know he did stand-up? I mean, that's all it was, right? It was just because it didn't have anything to do with, did they, oh, they tried to tailor it to the episode?
0: I think once in a while, but I think like. I don't know. Seinfeld is always like, he's not the most, uh, he doesn't write like in a madman. He's not, he's not writing a lot of, he likes his perfect bits Yeah. with the perfect callback and the perfect loop. Mm-hmm. And so I just think at a certain point he was like, I don't have any more. So right. I guess we'll do this random skydiving bit. No one goes <laughs> skydiving in this episode. You're wearing a helmet while skydiving. The helmet's wearing you. Like it's... Oh, that's,
1: um, it's one of those, is it? And uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is too bad that his, that his delivery is so unique and succinct that it can be that you hear it and there's part of you that balks at laughing at it because I want to laugh at everybody, you know? I'm like, I want to, you're doing stand-up. If the joke is good, I want to laugh. I don't want to just do that thing that comics often do. We both did it. Uh, which yeah. is to just go. Oh, uh-huh, I see. Uh-huh. I see. That's great. And you're like, that's not what anybody's fucking looking for. We would like you to laugh out loud, please.
0: I'm a dreadful laugher. It's very embarrassing. I'm not happy about it. But I, I like. I think for me, I, I really respect a joke if it makes me a little bit mad. Oh, if it makes me a little, it, I get a little like. It's. It's. It, I can't help it. It's in my head. I go. Fuck. Why didn't I fucking think of that?
1: Were it's, you a good it's so improv good. person? Were you a supportive improv person?
0: I don't think I was like a no, like a no. I'm going to shut you down. But I think I'm in my head. I'm in my head, and I would always, I would always be like, I'm not. I'm the weak link here. I would, <laughs> I would deteriorate very fast at improv.
1: And how are you as an actor? Are do you, you know, you got to give to receive so that someone has
0: something to for play sure, of, right? For sure, I think I, I, I think I'm a a decent scene partner. I'm not like a, a hog on stage, but it's tough. I'm in my head. I, I'm in my head. I'm These observing myself. I'm questioning on. my things. You want to be the oh, great actor.
1: You want to be the great actor. We all have to figure out how to get it. I remember I was on a panel once with improv people and they organically knew how not to hog the, like, because they'd been worked in teams for a, a dozen sure. years, right? And so the third time I interrupted somebody to riff, I literally had, we each had a mic I I would say something, I would put it on my lap and take my hand away. Because in an effort to let others have the panel, right?
0: That can be nice, but if you're with a group of comics, like sometimes you got to be like, if you do that, you will not speak.
1: Right. Oh, if I'm with stand-ups, you're just like, oh no, you're going to bust my chops. I have to bust yours back immediately. Otherwise, I uh, am considered less than. Anyway, uh, by the way, it's been an hour, my friend. Uh, you have barely scratched the surface of any of your other dorkdoms, but we did get to a pretty in-depth discussion yeah. of Seinfeld and what. So there's a there's a documentary about the show.
0: Documentary. I mean, Kirby Enthusiasm, the season where he brings back Seinfeld, is a, is a like you learn a lot about it. Okay. I uh, I and it's just like. It's amazing because Seinfeld is, again, they said it was too New York, too Jewish, but this show got so specific in a human nature that whenever, you know, it just switched from Hulu to Netflix for $500 million or whatever. And it's just like, it's pretty amazing when comedy gets so specific and so, uh, this has always been my theory with comedy because mine's very first person and... Narcissistic and self, and navel gazing. It's like if you can get so deep in yourself, mm-hmm. you can ultimately create something that that connects universally. And like Seinfeld did that. Yeah, I mean, a, a, such a. It, it does feel like a very Jewish show, and for for it to to somehow connect to all corners of the world. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it's incredible. It's
1: nice to be able to sort of see that sort of representation and then see that it affects everyone you know yeah. it's sort of like when you like when when i when i talk to somebody who's latina and they're like they finally made coco you know and and you're like you know and everyone loved it everyone loved it and you're like yeah because in the end representation matters and we all want to feel like like we we matter and and the best way to do that is to go oh that's that's my family. That's how that's how we talk, and you yeah. like it too. I am human, and uh, and that is a that is a nice thing. That's awesome, Uh Marco. Thank you so much for coming on the Dork Forest. Uh, thank you. What uh, it's at your name? Why don't you say it?
0: It's at John Marco Gianmarco.
1: John Marco. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not Gian. Yeah. I say I want to Italian it. It's John Marco, uh, so, uh, at John Marcos, Arezzi, it is spelled in the notes. Everybody go find him on Instagram and Twitter and Venmo. Yeah. What the hell? Just Venmo the guy. You see, Please. What, what is he? He lives in New York. And, uh, uh, so, um, you have shows, uh, in Toronto in July, 22nd and 23rd. Um, and you are also at the Irvine improv or whatever it's called at eight, seven and the Oxford uh-huh. levity live or whatever it's called on eight, 10. And, um, and you have a podcast podcast called The Downside.
0: The Downside.
1: Thank you so much for doing the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other.
2: Liz Winstead here, co-creator of The Daily Show and co-host of the Feminist Buzzkills Live Pod. Well, the vaginal crossing guards on the Supreme Court have destroyed Roe v. Wade. Good news. My nonprofit Abortion Access Front can help on july 17th we're hosting an activist training day called operation save abortion we're gathering experts from every area in the field of abortion justice and live streaming a series of conversations that break down the many opportunities available to you to protect access to all things reproductive care helping patients with travel needs lobbying politicians and getting into good trouble out in these streets are just a few examples that these amazing panels are going to break down and, bonus, connect you to the organizations in your area doing this work. So gather your friends for a watch party, then commit to becoming a defender of abortion access. I'll be there, and so should you. Operation Save Abortion, July 17th. For all the info and to register, hit up operationsaveabortion.com.
0: My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around My my hat. My hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that?